Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, we're going to once again continue our series on how we found our Great Loop boat. This has been an interesting topic for a lot of people since it's a challenging market right now to find a boat for the Great Loop. So uh, today we are going to talk to Ian and Trina, who have had their boat for some time and are in progress on the Great Loop. So we'll find out a little bit more about how they found their boat. Before I bring them into the conversation, I want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes and Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses <coughs> that support the Great Loop. And I would like to go ahead and officially welcome Ian and Trina. Thanks for joining me today. Hello. Hi. Our pleasure. And Ian Thanks and Trina are, me. yeah, we're thrilled to have you here. Ian and Trina are coming to us from um, Signal Mountain, Tennessee, and they keep their boat there in Chattanooga. Um, so start off, tell us a little bit about yourselves and your great loop so far. You go ahead. <laughs> We've owned the boat um, for about eight years now and have only done half the loop. Um, we bought the boat when I was on a retirement job in Pennsylvania. Uh, we were living in two places at the same time, Signal Mountain and Pennsylvania. So since I was working up there, it was much easier to have the boat up close to where I was so we could get it ready for the loop. And the intention was, my intention was to do the loop um, once I retired. And Trina was kind enough to go along with that. And so you've only done part of the loop so far. So tell us a little bit about that. What parts have you done? And, you know, kind of how have you been planning that out in that you, you're doing, I, I suppose, a little bit at a time over a longer period of time. And there's more and more people contemplating that kind of segments idea for the loop. So tell us a little bit more about what you've done and, and how you've done it so far. I guess for us, it, it, it was uh, the choice was dictated by outside uh, considerations. Um, first of all, I wasn't going to start the loop until I retired, which was in 2018. Um, and then we had to get the, the boat basically from the Chesapeake, where, uh, where we were key, had kept it for about four years while I was working in Pennsylvania, um, to, to Chattanooga. And the obvious way to do that was to do, for us was to do the northern half of the loop, uh, go the conventional way that everyone else goes, counterclockwise. And uh, we started that and got it to Chattanooga in 2018. And um, since then, we have been upgrading, continuing upgrades on the boat, pretty significant upgrades. And um, of course, we've been um, sort of homebound with COVID. Uh, then Trina had some foot surgery this year that she's just about over. So we're thinking we'll be able to resume the southern half of the loop in um October this year, hopefully. Mm -hmm. And so what are your plans? You'll cross your wake then on the Chesapeake. Will you bring the boat all the way back home to Chattanooga or what's the plan once you, once you finish the loop? Well, <clears throat> there's so much I want to see. It was a quick trip to bring the boat from Chattanooga, from the Chesapeake to Chattanooga. Um, it was more like a delivery mission. So we didn't get a chance to see all the, gorgeous things that you can see. So um, 
you know, my hope is to, after we finish um, uh, the Chesapeake, then maybe take it up northeast, uh, maybe into Canada, um, and make it a slow trip mm-hmm. to really enjoy the 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 trip. I mean, the the Great Loop is like a, a road map where it stops at gorgeous places. So that's what my hope is. I think we had like forty around forty travel days to get from the Chesapeake to Chattanooga. So we were really steaming and that uh, over, with that spread over a period of about two and a half months because of weather delays and mm-hmm. just, we wanted to stop a couple, couple of places and just catch our breath. But uh, the, uh, she's, Trina's right that, that when we resume the loop, we're gonna take it as it should be done, which is a day at a time and slow. Yeah, lots to see and do. So I'm glad that you have the opportunity to go back through those northern portions of the route and take your time and see all the things that you'd like to see. Um, so you mentioned you've had this boat for about eight years now. Did you have any boats previous to this one? Several, yeah. Um, so my father, uh, when I lived in Cincinnati as a kid, we had a cabin cruiser on the Ohio River. Um, he had runabouts. Uh, as soon as we got married, we bought a canoe. Uh, <laughs> turned out that wasn't for us because we couldn't paddle <laughs> in a coordinated way we ended up doing S-curves all over the lake but since then we've had sailboats um power boats um we we raced flying scots and we raced a cal 28 for many years and uh just uh, pretty much everybody i know has a boat so we've we've been on i've been on boats most of my life um I'll let Trina speak about her boating experience. <laughs> well, my boating experience was so much more limited. Um, basically, my parents would, um, they were living in Charleston, uh, South Carolina, and they told us about renting a bateau. This was, you know, this back in the 30s and um, in Shem Creek and how they would fish. And so uh, they had a farm in Alabama with a huge pond on it. So they bought a bateau for um, the pond. And so that was my experience until I met Ian, who was a boat enthusiast. And, uh, um, and it was just off from there. Yeah. So let's end the suspense. Tell everyone what boat you do have that you're using for your Great Loop and um, why you oh. chose that boat. Sure. It's, it's a DeFever 44. Mm-hmm. Um, we chose, we've had it for about going on eight years, about seven and a half years. Um, and we chose it after looking at, at a lot of other boats and comparing it with those boats. And it just was the most, it checked all the boxes for us. Mm-hmm. Um, we looked at a 30, I'm not going to mention brands because I don't want to, I don't want to um, prejudice anyone against anybody else's, any other brand of boat. We looked at a 36 foot um, uh, trawler. We looked at a 42 foot trawler. And both of those, I had convinced myself based on just paper research or online research that those were the boats for us. And uh, if I have one lesson in all of this for me, it is not to make your mind up or become emotionally attached to something that you have just read about without actually seeing it. Because once we saw the 36-foot boat, it was really small. It was small. <laughs> um, the 42, we chartered. And we went on several of those, actually. Friends took us out and things like that. And we chartered one um, out of Fort Myers. And uh, the problem with it was the Pullman berth. Um, and there were no Walker or Island Queens available in that model. So um, 
Basically, I told Ian I wasn't going to get on the boat without a queen walk around. <laughs> so <laughs> so for people who maybe aren't familiar with the Pullman birth, explain what that is and why that was a non-starter for you. <laughs> well, that means the smaller person, it's, it, I guess it's a, on an angle. The smaller person gets against the wall and the taller person here uh, gets, you know, where you step down. So that would mean that I would crawl over Ian's knees and drop, it seemed to me, about three feet if I had to go to the ladies' room <laughs> at night. And so I thought, you know, I don't think that's for me. I don't think yep. I can do that. And, and I think that's something that perhaps having boating experience made you realize that, but I've talked to people who really didn't realize for, for you know, people in our age group <laughs> that climbing <laughs> over one person, you know, it's the equivalent to a home having the, um, the bed against the wall <laughs> and having right. to climb over the other person to get out. And I think that's something that, that some people don't necessarily think through if they emotionally become attached to a boat before they really think through what's it going to be like to live aboard this boat. Um, so for you and for many, um, kind of having that island set up queen or, or better <laughs> is kind of a bonus. Um, so it's, it's great that you had the opportunity to go on board a lot of those boats uh, right now, mm -hmm. because there's so few, so such low inventory on boats for sale. It's much more challenging for people to have that experience of walking aboard many boats. Um, one of the reasons we're thrilled to be back to in-person rendezvous where we can have some looper crawls is that people can get that experience of checking out lots of the looper boats from looper boats in progress. And I think, um, Ian, you, you attended some rendezvous and had that experience of being able to go on the looper crawls. Um, but it sounds like you kind of focused on trawlers um, of different sizes. What is it about trawlers that attracted you? To me, it's the, um, it's the uh, use of space, particularly Arctic Fever's designs. Um, you have so much usable space indoors and out. Um, the flybridge is enormous. The sun deck is really large. Um, you can have six, eight people out there with no problem. Probably another six or eight up on the sun deck. Not that we host a whole lot of parties, but, you know, it's just nice to be able to stretch out like that. Mm -hmm. um, indoors, um, likewise, he made the maximum use of space. It was a nice roomy saloon. Um, I like the speed of a trawler. I don't, you know, we had go, go fast boats before and, there's just a whole lot more to boating than just turning a key and getting there as, as quickly as possible for me. So, um, the, and, the, and then the economics of a trawler made sense also. Um, it's just a lot more fuel efficient and uh, easy on the pocketbook when you are traveling. Mm -hmm. so and I like the, the, uh, almost a shrimp boat line. Love that high prowl. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and those are just beautiful classic lines. Mm -hmm. Lots of character in those boats. That's one of the things I like mm -hmm. about them too. So we talked about the walk around queen. Um, what were some of the other must have features that you, as you started to narrow down your boat search? You want to go first? <laughs> well, um, I was so new to this type of boating and Ian had been doing a lot of research and I could tell that it was coming our way when Ian starts researching something we're going to move in that direction. It's like the Mississippi is going to go. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I would say, what were we talking about? Must-haves? Yeah. Um, I want it to be homey. If we were going to travel, I want it to be as comfortable 
as it could be. And so I liked the galley up. Um, and I like that the the fever has kind of an open floor plan, um, so to speak, is really maybe three rooms, the, the forward berth in this huge, you know, for us saloon and the, uh, the galley is right there. And then it's the, the back berth. And so it gives you just a lot of comfortable space. It's not broken up very much. So that was one of my things. And for, for me, I think um, I wanted twin engines, um, fuel sipping engines. I wanted them to be naturally aspirated, meaning that they don't have turbos on them or any uh, high tech um, um, electronics on them. Uh, those are the easiest to maintain and very, very reliable. The Ford Layman's that we ended up with, many people say they're good for 20,000 hours, <clears throat> which means several lifetimes of cruising. Um, um, let's see, we wanted um, flybridge and lower helms, so tw twin helms. Um, I wanted full or near full displacement, meaning that the boat sits deep in the water rather than riding on top of the water when you're under power. That's the most economical way that, uh, to travel in one of these boats. Um, we wanted uh, an aft berth uh, rather than the master cabin being in the fore peak. We wanted it in the aft section of the boat. And this boat has a cavernous aft um, uh, berth. Yeah. And two heads. Let's see what else. Walk-in shower. That's nice. We wanted a walk-in shower. Ian doesn't bump his head. He can walk straight in. Um, and then uh, I wanted a boat that was not extensively modernized. I wanted a boat that was kept pretty much as it had been um, so that any modernization wouldn't, would be mine and not somebody else's um, uh, idea of a modern of a of an upgraded trawler. I like to keep the traditional feel of the, of the, of the, of the classic boat, but also have the modern amenities in it. And that's what we've really focused on. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of your list of, of the must have and the nice to have features. Yep. Does the Defever 44 have all of those things or did you have to compromise on some of them? Well, th there were, there was a list also of, of, uh, of nice to have features. Um, and those included like a, a pilot house and a cockpit, <clears throat> um, uh, the walk-in shower was either a must-have or a nice-to-have. Um, we wanted a lot of storage, um, and we got everything we wanted except the pilot house and the cockpit. The the cockpit we thought we wouldn't need, you know that. Um, and, and of course, I don't know all of the the boating <laughs> the thing where um, it's what about. Isn't there a, a 44 plus five? Yes. I think that's it. So we looked at that and thought, well, we really, we can fish off of the whatever. Off the sun deck. But it would yeah. have been very nice to have that cockpit. It's just that extra room um, would have been really, really nice to have. But, you know, that was, yeah, we just didn't think about it at the time. That's probably the only regret. And it's not a big one because we can fish off. Well, we could fish off the transom of the sun deck, but we have added a, transom mounted dinghy davit recently. So fishing off the transom, even if we had done that with a cockpit, probably wouldn't have worked. Right. Well, we'll have to get into dinghy and go fishing. There you go. There you go. That works too. Um, one of the things that you mentioned was important to you was the aft cabin and you, you have that in your defever. Um, right. Tell us why that was something that was important to you. Well, for one thing, it's the, it's the, the only way to get the full 
beam of the boat in the in in the uh, that I know of, unless there are there are fevers and other boats that have midship cabins. But in a boat for the size of a forty four, you're pretty much left with having a forward master cabin or an aft master cabin. Mm-hmm. By being by virtue of being aft, you get the full fifteen foot beam back there. So it's like I said, it's cavernous. It's really large. And secondly, you're not listening to the anchor uh, chain moving at night. You're not listening to the uh, gurgle of water hitting the bow if there's if you're in a current that sort of thing. So yeah. it's just a it's just a, a much better arrangement for us. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about how you went about finding your Defever Forty Four. Let's take a quick break and play a message from one of our sponsors, and when we come back, we'll we'll talk in depth about how you found the boat. So we'll be back in a moment. Schwartz and Company Yacht Sales is a boutique yacht sales organization and a proud supporter of AGLCA loopers, and adventurous souls throughout the Great Lakes. We are the exclusive representative for American Tug throughout the Great Lakes region, including the Canadian provinces of Ontario and Quebec. We are very active in the yacht brokerage market on both the buy side and sell side, providing our guidance and resources to valued customers. We also work with shipbuilders both in the U.S. and abroad to bring our customers unique dreams to life. We welcome the opportunity to earn your business. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guests today are Ian and Trina, and we are talking about how they found their Defever 44 for the Great Loop. So kind of fill us in on how that process worked for you. Um, you know, did you narrow down to a Defever 44 and went searching for that specific boat? Or was the search, you know, the, the, the earnest search when you really were looking for one to purchase, was it more widespread than that? I think we decided on the Fever 44 when we went to uh, Beaufort, South Carolina and saw saw one for the first time and were actually able to go aboard. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, I think we pretty well solidified that as the model we were after. Problem was there weren't many, like, it's like a little bit like now, there just were not many on the market. Mm-hmm. So we went to... <laughs> Can I interrupt? Absolutely. <laughs> Before we saw that Defever 44, we were looking at all sorts of boats. I don't think there was a dunk that we didn't walk on that happened to be there. So um, we looked for a long time, it seemed, um, and looked at a lot of different boats at mm-hmm. the rendezvous, mm-hmm. just and then narrowed it down. It, that's what that's what I remember. And once, yeah, once we selected the uh, or, or settled on the Fever Forty Four, um, the trick was finding one for sale. So one came up uh, on the market while we were in Italy, and there was no way for me to go and actually see the boat uh, here. So I called a friend, Don Moon, on the trawler forum, um, who uh, who coincidentally had built the first house that we had bought on Signal Mountain years before. And he was so helpful. He knew a guy in, uh, in Jacksonville um, who was a commercial captain and a real boat nut <clears throat> who was willing to go down to Palm Coast where the boat was, was located, was actually for sale. And uh, Jack went down and looked at it and called me in Italy and said, yeah, this is a boat worth going after. So I started doing homework and um, missed a lot of Italy in the process. Uh, <laughs> Oh my gosh. He was so focused on researching this boat that we were in the um we were in Florence looking at all this artwork, these palaces. I have a picture somewhere of Ian in the corner in the back with his head buried in his computer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at 
and look at that. Just a minute, Trina, just a minute. So that's uh, that helped, I'd say. Well, my, my research my, a little bit. My thought was Italy will be there for another visit. <laughs> this boat wasn't going to be. So, uh, so I talked to uh, I talked to insurers. I talked to um, <clears throat> other boaters about this kind of boat, and uh, finally, I called Curtis, who was Curtis Stokes, mm-hmm. who was the uh, seller's broker, and we had a conversation asked him if Jack could, could go down and take a look at it. He was totally cooperative and helpful with that. When Jack reassured me that the boat was worth a, worth consideration, we made an offer on it. And I hit send literally as the wheels were coming up on, uh, on the plane as we were flying out of Rome. So it was a contingent offer, of course, um, based on a survey. And um, that basically gave us first refusal on the boat when we were finally able to actually physically see the boat. Right. And uh, we went down and looked at it in Palm Coast a couple of weeks later, uh, had the survey done, engine and hull survey done uh, by Bill Gladding. Bill Gladding. He was a wonderful. super surveyor. Um, and uh, it came back really clean, really in good shape. And uh, we just negotiated the final price and now we own it. And I love that you shared the story about Italy in part because the fact that you weren't there and able to get to the boat quickly to look at it um, mm. is a lot the way things are working today with the, the market being so tight and boats coming up, to, you know, being listed and, and getting offers almost immediately. So it's nice to hear that you did make a contingent offer before you saw it and that that was a comfortable process for you because I think that's something that that's giving people a little bit of heartburn right now is the idea of putting some money down on something they haven't seen yet. But right now that's just kind of the nature of the beast with the way the market is. So um, seven years ago, I think it was probably a little bit different, but because of the boat you were after um, it was a little bit more like we're hearing things are going today. So it's great to hear that. Did you have any concerns um, with going to the seller's broker without having somebody representing you specifically, or did Curtis fill kind of a dual role there? Curtis clearly represented the uh, the seller in the transaction, but I can't say enough good things about him as far as being fair and upfront and straight with us when we were asked questions about the boat. Everything he said about the boat, and he didn't um, he didn't hype it. Uh, everything he said about the boat turned out to be accurate, and uh, he made the process a lot easier. Um, and I did Jill not. Is wonderful. And Jill's great. Oh, yeah, does have more fabulous. So so I didn't really consider a seller's broker at the time. Um, I I, uh, gave passing consideration to it is the best way to put it, but I felt comfortable enough with Curtis that he was not pressuring me to buy a boat that I didn't Mm -hmm. want. And ultimately, I didn't think that the seller's broker was going to, for me, add a great great deal of value at that time. Mm -hmm. Now, if if it were another seller's broker involved, um, then a buyer's broker for me might have made sense. So tell us a little bit more about, you know, the search itself, since you were basically doing the searching on your own without a broker. Um, you know, did you, you've mentioned that you went to lots of docks and looked at boats, but I assume that actually looking for the fever was primarily an internet based search. And did, did you limit geographically to where you would find the boat? Yes. Yeah. East of the Mississippi mm-hmm. for us. Um, so we looked on the East coast, we looked in Florida, um, 
you know, internet searches, like I say, pretty much confined to the Eastern United States, but physically going and looking at boats, it was up and down the East Coast in Florida, primarily. Mm -hmm. Quite a few places. There were beautiful boats on the West Coast at that time, but the uh, logistics of uh, if we found the boat we wanted, getting it back up to the Tennessee mountains was (laughs) going to be, (laughs) was difficult. But we did do the... you were on the internet all the time. My, I'm recalling this now, and and I was I got all involved too. We just look at these these uh, um, pages and pages of boats and checking them out, and and so, then deciding what we could call about and where we could go to see them. Yeah, so so copious research. Yep. Um, going to rendezvous. Um, and people and were very, shows. very welcome at rendezvous and boat shows, trawler fests, yep. um, going to look at boats were actually for sale, the few that we could find, um, asking people if we could see their boats and sometimes or, or, or talk to them about their boats. And some of them were kind enough to just say, yeah, come on down. We'll even take you out. That was really a help. Yeah. Um, yes. are and wonderful with things like that. Everybody loves to show off their boat, but they're also so willing to help someone who's in that process and trying to figure out what the right boat for them is. Mm-hmm. That's really true. Mm-hmm. And then chartering, we chartered a, a boat in, uh, in Fort Myers and for a week and, and had a great time with that. Um, and just, you know, general obsessiveness. <laughs> yeah. So throughout that process, kind of what's the um, piece of advice or the lesson learned that you would want to share with someone who's, who's working on this idea right now of how they're going to find their great loop boat? Well, I would say uh, see as many boats and boat types as you possibly can in person, uh, if possible, or as early as possible in your search. Um, Don't emotionally commit to a specific brand or model of a boat until you actually set foot on one. Uh, It's fine to make an offer on one if if it's contingent and, um, and, and you have that full understanding and everybody understands that it's a contingent offer and you can walk away from it at any time. Um, so it seems like conflicting advice, move quickly to get the boat you want, but don't emotionally commit to a boat that you think you want until you've actually set foot on it. That would be my suggestion. And take your time. I mean, and I think, you know, I understand that it's a tight market right now, but to, um, to really get an idea of what you would like, uh, that process of elimination and the forum is wonderful. Um, there's so much, so much helpful advice, so much information and people are, are great, helpful people, great people. And so willing to impart their, their experience and the pros and cons. Uh, That's great advice. And I love the idea of trying not to become emotionally attached um, and taking your time. And I think in this market in particular, everyone feels like they have to move fast and you do, but at the same time, um, you know, I've seen some potential loopers seriously considering boats that in a different market they would absolutely not consider or at the price point that they're looking at paying for it because it's such a seller's market. Um, you know, if the market changes, they, they make face taking a big loss on that boat. And for some people, that's a comfortable idea. Hey, <laughs> I love when we have that's the pets up. join us. Hi. <laughs> um, but, but so, yeah, it's, um, you know, I think that's great advice, particularly in today's market as, as you know, people are looking 
finding challenges with the lack of inventory and then, you know, potentially looking at settling for something. And we, we encourage people to take mm-hmm. their time, make sure it's the right boat for them. So that's wonderful advice. As we wrap up, one thing I neglected to ask you, I think, is what did you name the boat? Oh, Stella Maris. Uh, we, that was the name of our previous sailboat as well. And um, we named it after this. We used to, well, Trina's family is in Charleston, South Carolina. We've gone to Charleston every year since we've been married, which is a long time, mm-hmm. hard to believe. Um, <laughs> but um, there's a little church on, the, on Sullivan's Island down there named Stella Maris uh, that just always looks so pretty to us. And we thought it was a great name. Mm-hmm. So that's been looks the name out of our to boat, the harbor. Star of the Sea. Beautiful area that you're talking about. It's uh, my home, and I, I love the Charleston area. Um, and a great name for a boat. So, Trina and Ian, thank you so much for sharing how you found Stella Maris, and uh, we've enjoyed chatting with you. Uh, hopefully, we'll we'll see you again on the water. Our thanks pleasure. For having thanks for us. thanks for doing this, Kim. Bye. And, and thanks to everyone who's joined us today. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. Mm-hmm.